from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. From Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, and that will I seek after to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says. Seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. But I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart Take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Our second text comes from Paul's correspondence with the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians in this case, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Page 169 in the New Testament of your Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along as I read aloud. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 27 begins in a very memorable way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? These famous opening lines of the 27th Psalm convey, I think, a deep and abiding confidence in God. So trustworthy is God that the psalmist rhetorically, perhaps sarcastically asks, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist is not unaware of the threats that are emerging all around them. Enemies are pressing in. Danger lurks around every corner. Uh, trouble is on the horizon, but the psalmist boldly declares that God will hide them in the Lord's shelter, and that God will set their feet high on a rock. This phrase, having one's feet set high on a rock, a gift that God brings to us into the world in real time, where God puts our feet on a firm foundation. This phrase is used quite often in the scriptures. It's used quite often by the psalmist. It conveys to us, the hearers, that God is trustworthy and that when God puts our feet on a rock, when God puts our feet on a firm foundation, we have a deep and abiding sense of security. We have a deep and abiding sense of safety, right? The Lord is my light. I am secure. The Lord is my salvation. I am secure. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. I am safe and I am Secure. We press on in this uh, sermon series. We've been reflecting on the nine principal desires that have been endowed to us by our Creator. And as we continue to move on in this series, we now come to the human desire. Part of what it means to be a human being is to be a being that desires. We look in particular at the desire to be safe at the human desire to be secure. So far in this series, we've talked about 
the human desire to be loved. We've talked about the desire to be valuable. We've talked about the desire to be authentic. And we've talked about the desire to be competent. And each and every week, we've sort of followed the same pattern, the same trajectory. We've talked about these desires as, as, as those things that God has given us that really make us human. And that there's a purity about these desires. There's an innocent, uh, innocence about these desires. And yet, in our living, these desires can become distorted. They can put things out of whack. Our relationships, our place in the world, they be, can become malformed, these desires. And they no longer function in the way that God has intended them to function. And so what we've been saying over the last several weeks is that we need an intervention. We need God to speak into our lives to reshape and reform these desires so that they may be aligned with the intentions of God. So we follow the same pattern when we think about the desire to be secure. We're going to follow the same trajectory thinking about the desire to be safe. There's a purity about this desire. There's an innocence about this desire, and yet it can become malformed. It can become distorted, and we need to hear a word from God to put this desire in its proper place so that it may connect and be integrated with the intention and will of God. Well, during my uh, sabbatical this, this past summer, uh, my wife Katie and our two sons, we, we spent two weeks in Germany. And for those of you who, who travel and have traveled to different time zones, you know, especially if you're heading east to Europe or to Africa, you know that when you get there, you got to stay up. And so you got to fill your schedule with, with, with that which will keep you energized and engaged. And so our German family, when we arrived that very first day, they took us on a trip to a Kletterwald. Uh, Kletterwalds are very popular in uh, Germany. The word literally translates as climbing forest. Kletterwald is climbing forest. And, and that's really what it is. What you do is, is you, you climb uh, ropes and you climb ladders up into the, the tree canopy and you move through various challenges from one treetop to another, going through different apparatus and, and elements. And what I want you to think of here is, I want you to think of a high ropes course, but think of it with outstanding and excellent German engineering and design, right? It's like the BMW of high ropes courses. Right? So each participant wears a helmet and, and is given a harness and is given two safety lines with carabiners on the end. And as they climb up, they climb uh, to the, the top of the tree canopy and then they hook themselves in into this elaborate safety system and structure. Now, if I'm honest, uh, when I saw Luke and Johnny climb up to the tree canopy, now 50 feet below them, my heart skipped a few beats. Watching your kid, if you've ever seen a child do this or anybody ever do this, and you're watching from the ground up, it can feel a little bit unsettling. You kind of watch them like this and, and see them jump and leap and climb from one tree to another. But as you watch them, you realize something. As they're doing it, they feel totally secure. They, they can feel the security in the harness. They can feel the, the security in the lines. They can feel uh, the security of the helmet that rests on their head. And what happens is when that child or that person begins to sense their own security, 
begins to recognize and acknowledge their safety, what happens is they begin to jump. They begin to leap. They begin to climb with a courage and a boldness, taking on one element after another because they know they're safe. They know they are secure. I think it's a good analogy for life. When we feel secure, when we feel safe, we're willing to take risks, aren't we? We're willing to take a leap. We're willing to step out, right? When we are secure in our emotional health, we're willing to take risks and be vulnerable in our relationships. When we feel secure in our mental health, we're willing to meet the challenge of each day with boldness. When we are secure in our physical health, we'll play soccer with our grandkids in the backyard, or maybe we'll even run the Peachtree Road Race. When we feel secure in our vocational health, we feel secure in our professional competency and our employability, we will consider that next job. We will consider switching companies. We may even consider going back to school for a degree. When we feel secure in our financial health, we find courage to be generous. When we feel secure in our spiritual health, we will trust God. We will lean into the community of faith even if we do not know what tomorrow will hold. In other words, when we feel safe, when we really feel safe, when we feel secured, we feel empowered, like it says in Psalm 27, 14, we feel empowered to be strong and let our hearts take courage. I mean, think about it even in your own life. Right now, just think about the times where you have felt most safe, where you felt most secure. Chances are you have been at your very best in those moments. Chances are you have sensed the freedom to take risks. Chances are you have sensed the opportunities that are before you and you meet them with, with boldness and courage. When we feel secure and safe as human beings, we're ready to take the next leap. We're ready to put ourselves out there. Of course... We don't always feel safe, do we? Of course, we don't always feel secure. We are keenly aware and have firsthand knowledge of how unsafe and how insecure our world and our lives truly can be. Back in February, the New Republic uh, published an article entitled Age of Anxiety. The title is borrowed from Auden's famous poem that bears the same name. And the author of this more contemporary article says that, that America seems to be in a full-blown panic attack and in the throes of a jittery national mood. And if we were going to have a conversation about this, we could probably name and unearth and unpack many parts about our living that make us unsettled, that our lives and the world in which we live feels unstable. It feels like it's not safe. It feels like we lack security. People would probably talk about economic insecurity, wouldn't they? 
We talked about what makes you feel unsafe, what makes you feel insecure. They may talk about economics where, where 78% of American workers are living paycheck to paycheck. Seven out of 10 people live in some measure of debt. They might talk about insecurity and mental health. One in five Americans have a mental health diagnosis, one in five, and those are just ones who have seen providers and caregivers, one in five, 20%, a clinical diagnosis. There's insecurity carried by older adults and older generations, things that maybe they used to take for granted, things that many of us take for granted give us a sense of insecurity, right? I mean, just thinking about falling, thinking about isolation, thinking about loss of independence and physical deterioration, that can be unsettling. There's insecurity carried by the generation who's trying, and many of you fit this generation, who is trying to care for their aging parents while at the same time caring for their young adult children who still need a little bit of caring. And you wonder, how am I going to do all of this financially, emotionally, mentally, with time? How am I going to make this work? In younger generations, insecurity is principally known in the lack of safety that so many feel because of school shootings. They're uncertain, they say, of what kind of world they're going to inherit because of climate change. They wonder how they're going to make ends meet with static wages and and a boatload of student debt, and how they're going to keep themselves mentally healthy in such an anxious world. And this is anecdotal, but true, that so many college campuses in their mental health care and those providers who are employed by these college campuses can't keep up with the demand. And there's a backlog now where, where universities and schools are, are outsourcing mental health care to providers in that area. I know this firsthand through the Samaritan Counseling Center as we're partnering with schools and universities and colleges, seeing these students who can't be seen on their own campuses. And then, of course, you add to all of this the general insecurity that exists on a global stage related to various political, economic, and military threats, and we realize that we are living in unsettled and anxious times. There is a lot to feel insecure about. There is a lot of reasons to feel unsafe. A few months ago, I was having a lunch with a, a new member in uh, the church. His name is Jerry. And he's the chief information security officer for a Fortune 500 company here in Atlanta that owns several financial exchanges, places where people are trading. Uh, he's the head of security for these financial exchanges, including the New York Stock Exchange. So as the chief information security officer, Jerry and his global team, and it really is a global team, have a critical mission to maintain the cybersecurity of these exchanges so that commerce can continue without interruption, so that they can avoid fraud and theft and, and manipulation. I watched a, a lecture that Jerry gave at Georgia Tech not too 
uh, long ago where he was talking about threat objectives. And I want you to keep this idea in your head as we move on. Threat objectives, right? Neutralizing and preventing threat objectives is basically what occupies Jerry's time during the workday. And what he has done in his company, he's developed a formula to evaluate threats based on potential and likelihood. What is the potential of this threat and how likely is this threat to be actualized? And the conclusions that are drawn from this formula let him know what he needs to focus on. Now, if you know Jerry, you know that he is a cool, calm, and collected guy. And you would think with a job like that, you yourself would be terribly anxious. I mean, if you trade on the New York Stock Exchange, you should thank Jerry. You'd think that this would be a lot of pressure, and it is in in a lot of ways. But what's so interesting, when I had spoken to him before about this, is that he understands what is really a threat and what is not. He understands what is potential and likely to disrupt the security of his work and what is not. He knows what to pay attention to and what he needs to let go of. And I mention him here because unlike his measured, calculated, and calm approach to threats, it seems like we live in an age where we have been convinced or told that everything is a threat. That everything we face is a threat to us. That we are jittery all the time. Journalist Lenore Skenazy calls it worst first thinking. We think of the worst thing that can happen and act as if it is likely to happen. We feel insecure about most things that come our way and we're terrified in the reality that we think we don't know how to deal with these threat objectives. So I was thinking about Jerry. Wouldn't it be great if everybody had a Jerry in their life? that you could apply this formula and you'd know what you should pay attention to and you know what you should let go of. But in our age, in our world, in our culture, in our climate, everything's a threat. We have no nuance. We have no way to parse it out. And when you live in this fear, you realize how debilitating and corrosive it really can be. Right? It's debilitating in that when we are afraid and we don't risk, We stay static. We don't meet the challenges or opportunities of the day. We don't love. We don't take the courage to make this world a better place. We don't take the courage to step out in faith. We don't take the courage to put ourselves out there, to leap from one tree to another. It's corrosive in that it eats away at our ability to trust. We, in this age of anxiety, what we're seeing is a lack of ability to trust. As our anxiety grows, our lack of trust declines. Or it grows alongside of it and think of it in those terms. And the worst of it, right, is that we start to become pessimistic. We become skeptical. We we become negative. We, We carry a doomsday mentality. You know who you are. Those of you who see the world with a doomsday mentality. And what happens in our relationships is we begin to project our fears on other people. And the worst of it, the rock bottom of it, the biggest distortion of the desire to be secure is coming to a place where we no longer trust that God is God. 
That's the rock bottom of this distorted desire. We come to a place where we no longer trust or think about trusting God. And that includes people who come to church every Sunday. That we have lost our ability to trust that God is God. And it's here that we need an intervention. I think it's here in the midst of this insecurity, in the midst of this fear, that we need to make room for God to speak a word to us. And I want to be very clear about the word that God speaks to us because the scripture does not sugarcoat the perils and dangers of life. If you come to church to hear that everything is going to be okay, you've got the wrong gospel, you've got the wrong scripture. The scripture is not naive to the fact that the world can be a pretty insecure place, right? I mean, just like the psalmist knows that there are enemies and and threats, and just like the Apostle Paul knows, we, we read about it, that there are things that will bring affliction, things that will seek to crush us, darkness that seeks to envelop us, persecution that threatens to undo us. The whole of Scripture, friends, is not shy in its acknowledgement of our vulnerability. It is honest about who we are and our impermanence. Lois Malcolm is a professor at Luther Seminary in, in Minnesota, and she looks at Paul's words from, the second, from, from 2 Corinthians 4, 7, uh, this line, we have this treasure in clay jars. Remember reading that? I, I read that to you. We have the, the, the a treasure in clay jars. And what she says is that the, the clay jar represents our life. The clay jar represents our vulnerability. It represents human existence. It's so fragile. It is so delicate. Our son Luke uh, went to Costa Rica this uh, summer and he went on an environmental study trip with his school and he got to experience uh, biodiversity and, and come to understand biodiversity in that beautiful part of the world in Costa Rica. And we gave him some money and we said, Luke, when you come back, when you're there, we want you to buy some things from Costa Rica that are made by Costa Ricans. Look at the bottom, it says made in China, put it back on the shelf. So he gave him money and he came home, he opened up his suitcase that had been checked and and he started to pull out chocolate and, and coffee that was made in, in Costa Rica. And then he pulled out this like newspaper wrapped package with, with tape and whoever put it together, we knew, uh, knew what they were doing to keep whatever was inside safe and secure. And he opened it up and uh, to our sadness, our collective sadness, he had purchased this beautiful handmade clay cup with beautiful artistic design on the outside. And despite the wrapping, despite the safety, despite the security, somehow the thing broke in the packaging. Super glue put it back together. But as I think about that, I think about that is such a good metaphor for our living. We as a culture and as a collective whole have been told we've got to be safe, we've got to be secure, we've got to do all of these things, we've got to wrap everything up in bubble wrap, we've got to tape everything together, we've got to put it all together. And the reality of life is this, even in our best efforts, turbulence can shake us up and break the most precious gift that God gives us. Thanks be to God that God can put what is broken back together. And while we may have this awareness of our vulnerability, that we are like these clay jars, we know of the power that is inside of these jars. And that's what Paul is saying, and this is what I want to close with. That the power inside of these clay jars is trustworthy. The power inside of these clay jars is trustworthy. And that power has a name in the Christian community. That power is Jesus Christ. 
He lives inside of us. And Paul says his power, even though we may be afflicted, we're not crushed. Even though we may be perplexed, we're not driven to despair. Even though we may be persecuted, we're not forsaken. Even though we may be struck down, we are not destroyed. Even though there are threat objectives all around us, God is God and always will be. Even in the most unsettling of times, God is our light. God is our salvation. Friends, faith in Jesus Christ does not mean that perils and dangers of the world will dissipate. Faith in Jesus Christ does not mean that we'll be free from threat objectives. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that we recognize and have an awareness that God is God. And no matter what you're facing... What is unsettling to you right now? What is keeping you from feeling safe? What seems to be insecure? Remember that God is God in your life and in the life of the world. And when that word reshapes and reforms our desire to be safe and secure, we can be strong. In the words of the psalmist, we can take courage. We are safe and secure in the sovereignty and the love of God. God is God. Amen.